0: Welcome to the Neon Noise Podcast, your home for learning ways to attract more traffic to your website, generate more leads, convert more leads into customers, and build
1: stronger relationships with your customers. And now, your hosts, Justin Johnson and
0: Ken Franzen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 14, number 14 of the Neon Noise Podcast, where we talk about topics that help you decode marketing and sales. Ken, how is it going today, it is going
1: great today. Just know it yourself.
0: It is going good. Very good. Thank you for asking. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, that I wanted to chat about today is we get a bunch of calls, obviously related to marketing and sales. I thought that maybe doing a QA and a on some of those topics uh, that we get a lot of inquiries on would be helpful to our listeners. What do you think about doing something like that?
1: No, that's great, because a lot of the inquiries that we receive are repeats. They're common questions that come across over and over again. And what better way to help our audience but uh, by covering some of these common questions they likely have as well.
0: Exactly. So why don't we dive in? Um, I would say that one of the most popular questions that we get is related to traffic. And uh, what can we start doing to get additional traffic to our website? Obviously, increasing traffic is important. Just where are the best areas to start with generating additional traffic to my website? To start... (laughs) Yes, traffic is is the lifeblood of that funnel.
1: That's the very first step in the the overall methodology that that inbound methodology that we speak so much about. It's really getting new or repeat visitors to our website, our brand. and it's important I think to preface this conversation with the right type of traffic as well because the number of visitors coming to your site can be gigantic. It can be huge. Sure. But if it's the wrong type of visitor, it's not going to continue that process into converting to a customer. So I preface this that we are focusing on our buyer personas that we've created. And we're we're really trying to get the traffic from them in particular. But let's start off with with the the low-hanging fruit. Let's and, and I consider this low hanging fruit, but email marketing your customer <coughs> database yeah, you likely have customers already you've done business with, and with that, most of you will have a, a database of some sort, hopefully with email addresses and I think email marketing is gold I think it is the the Holy one grill. component that yes people don't take as much advantage of as they they should they could in continuing now this this is this is the this is that uh that low-hanging fruit that i referenced that you can you can easily access but this is also not attracting the new eyeballs it's the uh, increasing transaction frequency or the people that have already encountered your brand if it's maybe someone that you have in a funnel that haven't done business with sure but i'm really kind of focusing on uh most businesses that we talk to they don't have marketing funnels in place and things along those lines they have customer databases so yeah. set up an email campaign market to them send out email updates what's going on with your brand specials promotions if you have a sale on uh dishwashers this week and you're an appliance center fire it on them yep fire it away send it off to them <clears throat> if you have uh a new event coming up, uh, let's say you're having a tent sale for President's Day, which mm-hmm. is right around the corner, uh, let them know about that. But that is uh, a way not only to get traffic to your website, it's but to also your, traffic to your, door, to yeah. your, to your doors. Yeah. Exactly. Other ways, uh, organically, so we're looking at the search engines. Well, let's talk about Google. We want to obviously try to gather as many uh, leads or, excuse me, visitors to our website from the search engines and doing so uh, optimizing your website to be search engine friendly and creating relevant content. I'm describing all the things that involve search engine optimization here, blogging, reaching out to others that are in your industry, try to get inbound links to your website to boost the credibility you have with the search engine so that you show up for more of those keyword searches that your buyer personas care about.
0: Yeah. uh
1: Other areas, social media used to be free, quote unquote. Right?
0: <laughs> it used to be free. I got to pay for it. Used to be. Everybody to sure. see your stuff. <laughs> well, they have
1: shareholders now to take care of them. <laughs> that's that's quite all right. The, the evolution of social media has changed quite a bit, and this will be a good segue into probably a little bit of paid. Building that social media your social media audience is, is is another great way to, to drive traffic, promote your content that you create, engage with with other consumers out there uh, that might be interested in your brand. A lot of times to get that exposure, you do have to pay for it now. And right. that's not a bad thing because there's a lot of value we see in certain platforms where you can gain exposure that in front of those that you, you normally wouldn't, wouldn't be part of your audience. So there's definitely some benefits. Everyone's like, ah, you have to pay for Facebook now. It's not fair.
0: Yeah, and, but it's relatively expensive uh, too.
1: That's what's nice about it. It's There are opportunities there. And so mm-hmm. we look at uh, social media, PPC, pay, pay-per-click. Uh, you look at just traditional paid search, Google AdWords, where you can't find exposure on the search engines organically. You can pay for that placement, and a lot of times, when done right, there's a real good ROI on that. True. Sure. So get some traffic by positioning yourself through AdWords or retargeting campaigns. Um, that I mean, look at what is working well for you as well on your in your Google Analytics, mm-hmm. and see you know that's that's the one thing I think that miss is missed so often is people aren't really paying attention to exactly. What may be or not work, you know, might not be working. And they're kind of going by feel or what they think works best. Use those Google Analytics. That's the whole point of them is to understand where the traffic to your website's coming from. Yeah. Dig in, dive deep. There's lots of layers to that. And it can tell you a lot of great information.
0: Awesome stuff. Um, Those are all great. Items that are going to definitely get additional eyeballs to your site. Um, I think another question that we get quite a bit is related to photos and photography. Uh, so many sites that we see, they really, really do lack uh, good quality photography. So the next question would be Where can I find good photography for my website?
1: A photo. Good, good photography on your website does have a giant impact. It's really with the make or break, I think, from that initial visit. Once you get that traffic, that that visit from, let's say, your paid search campaign or uh, maybe one of your social media efforts, they click through. They hit uh, maybe, say, your homepage. Hopefully with one of those uh, campaigns, it's a, it's a landing page. But they're going to come to that landing page, and they're going to see something right off the bat, whatever's above the fold. And they're going to see, one, obviously the headline, the message you're trying to deliver, but a lot of times there's a visual there that that makes a connection. And the strength of that likely photo, maybe it's a video or, or something along those lines, but let's talk about photos here for a second. The strength of that photo tying in with your message and how professional and nice it looks goes a long way. And so where do you find good photographer where can you find such photos take pictures yourself uh mm-hmm. i i i think that most of us have smartphones with really awesome cameras on it. and i'm i'm really i'm really going right down here to the bottom of of my recommendations <laughs> and starting there <laughs> but we all have really good cameras right in our pockets it's it's right behind the the, the bubble witch game or whatever it is that uh we you know have that
0: everybody has a camera now
1: exactly in a couple quick google searches on how do i take good pictures sure. will reveal some you really can probably put tutorials. that on a
0: tripod now can't you
1: you can buy uh, tripod mounts for sure uh full-fledged tripod mounts where they're the regular eye level height ones or you can even find desktop tripods for your your iphones or your 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 android phones or whatever phone that you're using these days there's tons and tons and tons of those and use use that to take the photos the thing that you need to worry about most is lighting make sure you have really good solid lighting if you have a digital camera that's a little nicer than your phone use that yeah if you have a little extra money in the budget hire a professional photographer they are worth every penny that you pay them they know how to grab the. They know how to stage a, a, a shoot. They know how to get the proper lighting. They know how to capture and and go over with them. Don't just don't just say, "Hey, come out and take some pictures of me." Say, "This is what I'm you know I'm doing for this for a website. Here's kind of the the direction I'm going. Here's the the message that I want to convey." And challenge them to help you stage photos that are going to work great for that website or that landing page, whatever it is. Now, if all that fails. Use stock photography. There's some really good stock photo sites out there. Mm -hmm. iStock Photo, Big Stock Photo, Shutterstock. I mean, we'll include a couple links to some of these stock photo sites in the show notes. But for a couple dollars, you can actually download and obtain rights to use photos taken by professional photographers and if you start searching these stock photo sites, you'll be amazed
0: uh-huh.
1: at how many different options. You type in a keyword, you'll be blown away. Sometimes you type in a keyword that might be a little bit specific. Maybe you're in a very specific niche market and you'll be disappointed. You can always find ways around that being a little bit creative with use of general photos. Right. But the one thing I'll caution you against is please, please, please don't just go to Google and grab a photo.
0: <laughs> you're not supposed to borrow them
1: nah, well borrow is a very loose <laughs> term there um the the problem with that is these photos are taken by someone who right. is trying to make money yep. and someone owns the rights to those photos when you borrow them quote unquote from google and place them on your website you haven't formally obtained the licensing and rights to use that photo right. and that photographer or the the agency or company that owns the rights can come after you. Mm. And uh, we've had some instances with clients where they've been sought out by legal counsel to prove they have the rights to use certain photos that were on their website.
0: Oh well, they, yeah, and those they, aren't even that expensive, are they?
1: Well, no, if you think about the trade-off here. Right. The photo that you're looking at, let's say, let's say it cost you fifty dollars for this photo, and I'm, I'm that's, that's probably how I a lot, for, right? <laughs> that's a lot for the photo sites that we're just talking about there. But let's just say it cost you fifty dollars to use mm. this photo. The cease and desist, prove you own rights to demand letter, is looking for uh, a retribution of sixteen hundred dollars or so in penalties and fees and damages and all that stuff for our, yeah. for misuse or non-use of or non-licensing of that image.
0: I think I'd rather be the property
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a no-brainer. Now, if you yes. get a uh, thousand images on your website, obviously, uh, $50,000 is a lot of money. In that case, <laughs> Iron photographer would be a lot cheaper. But just be careful about what you do. Be sensible. Don't borrow. Uh, you might get away with it. You might not. I just throw that out there. Um, The last thing I think that is is oftentimes that are utilized, even when we take photos ourselves or we have a photographer take photos for us, or we even use those stock photos, there's a lot of really cool things that a a skilled graphic designer could do to enhance that photo. Maybe they take a couple of different elements. And you are in that niche market where maybe you're selling um, floor mats for golf carts. I don't know if those exist, but let's just say they do. Floor mats for golf carts. You really are into your golf cart and you want to have fancy floor mats. You're likely not going to find uh, stock photography for golf cart floor mats. What you could do, though, is if you find a floor mat that you like and you find a golf cart that you like and you need a graphic designer to mesh those two images together. I think I'm kind of reaching on this example, but maybe a get little. The bit, but... Look at the <laughs> you picture. We <don't> all understand it. <laughs> exactly. Use a graphic designer. You can really, really, really enhance come up with some really dynamic impactful photos and that's where i think it really boils down to is is getting a a photo on your website your landing page whatever it is that's going to help tell your story deliver your message connect with your your buyer persona
0: good stuff which leads into adding value uh, for your website we get uh questions around you know what can i do to add value for my customers. I think one of the best ways to do this is um, look at what others are saying about you. And so the next question would be, should I be using testimonials and case studies for my website?
1: This is a great question. And it's interesting, the conversations that I have Half the customers that are clients that I talk to say that they want them or they think they're great. The other half basically say, I think they're all BS. How do I know that, or how does the customer know that I didn't just make that stuff up? And I'm like, good point. Mm -hmm. Good point. But the other half of the consumers that are out there might buy value. And I'm not saying, you know, do make them up, don't make them up, Have, have genuine customer testimonials i lean on the side of yes have customer testimonials but take it up a level take it up a notch so you know the internet's riddled with reviews tons and tons of reviews um there's lots of fake reviews i mean you can go on fiverr.com and pay someone to write 10 awesome reviews for your business and they're likely to have those up by the time you make breakfast in the morning (laughs) it's fake things and that I mean that's that's the the world and we live in that's the world we live in and the internet you know that that we have at our fingertips uh-huh. but to add some some validity to the testimonials and some conviction behind what you're placing or stating your customers are saying about you take it another step further and either go with a case study which is a more specific example uh-huh. of Here's a customer. They approached us with a problem. Their problem was X, Y, Z. Our company took that problem and provided this solution, which benefited them in these particular ways. Right. Now you have not only, and then yeah, sure you'd have that that testimonial that Neil Goldfitch helped our business grow 300% over the last year. Blah blah mm-hmm. blah. All good stuff but now you have a specific example that a potential site visitor could connect to they could say hey i have that same problem mm-hmm. that you've now displayed was solved and what about kind of video into that that would be the next step tying a video would even be better and that mm-hmm. that would be the, the the gold the gold medal of of these three options if if mm-hmm. just the the word testimonial was the bronze and the case study was the silver. If you could add a video to this mix or even oh. a video period, that is, is awesome. Now, the video, hey, sure, you can go on in and, and go the full lengths of, of hiring a video production company and shooting the video. And you're going to have a killer video testimonial. You can also take that same cell phone that you were taking photos of. And I definitely suggest if you're shooting video with your phone, use a tripod because our hands are not as steady as we'd like to think they are. (laughs) And you could shoot video of a customer testimonial with some simple editing software. Um, Have a nice video of one of your clients talking about their experience with your business. Now, that is much more believable. Now, could we also state, well, maybe it was hired actors. Nobody's going to go that far and higher talent and everything else of that nature. I can't say nobody. I'm sure it's been done. But right. at any rate, what you're really trying to do is you're trying to leverage the good experiences, the customer satisfaction that you've displayed, that mm. the, the the level of of care that you give to your clients and their appreciation through your website in in some capacity. And I think that just the more time that you spend on it, the better. I mean, we get lots of websites we build where We talked to them about using testimonials and the common response is, yeah, go to my Facebook page, grab some nice (laughs) things that were said there and drop them in.
0: Just okay. That's,
1: that's just, yeah, it's, it's how much effort uh, we put in is how much return we're going to get out of it. Sure. And so, yeah, that does quote unquote, give us a testimonial, but if we were to take that to the next level and say, okay, Mr. Customer and Mrs. Customer, we can do that. However, you know, Jan here said she had a great experience. Do you know Jan? Well, Jan's one of our best customers. All right, great. Does does Jan, does Jan live in the area? Is she local to where we are? Yes, she's right around the corner. Awesome. Would Jan be willing to stop by and, sh- sure, maybe you, you provide them an incentive of I'll buy you lunch or give you 10% off your next order because you're taking time out of your day to do this.
0: Well Would Jan be willing
1: that. to come sit down? Exactly. It's well worth yeah. it. Sit down. And do a quick video testimonial. We'll send Jan a couple questions in advance. We'll have her prepared so we're not catching her blindsided. We also want Jan to be a little, put some little, a little bit of thought into what she might say and record it. Right. And then we've placed that on the website and it has a little bit more impact. So, you know, your original question, should I be using testimonials or case studies? Yes, Yes, I think that you should. I think it goes a long way. And I think the more effort that you put into that, will yield better results from doing so.
0: Beautiful. All right, so everyone is on Facebook these days and so are probably quite a few buyers. Some people are on Facebook too much. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The next question that we see quite a bit is, should I start using Facebook to run ads to my website?
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, we touched on this earlier, and so let's rewind back when Facebook first started. We all created Facebook business pages, and we were able to communicate with anyone that followed our page fairly easily, and as time progressed, the newsfeed algorithm <laughs> changed and suppressed a lot of that once free exposure. And now Facebook, those dirty dogs want us to pay for it. No. He, my, uh,
0: I can't talk my to my twenty thousand likes, things. my twenty thousand people that <laughs> my fans anymore.
1: Well you can. It's just it takes a little bit more engagement from them for your, your message to, to, to be seen. So sure. if you want your 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 message to organically be seen by more the more shares you have, the more likes you have, obviously that brings up the viewership. Mm-hmm. But this question is more geared towards how can we use Facebook to get in front of eyeballs that we aren't in front of right now? And that's kind of where Facebook's gotten pretty sweet because they've been gathering all this data on everything we do. Yep. Ultimate to case of big brother watching us and they know what, we like and what we dislike our demographics and so to leverage that data that's available in the facebook platform you can create some pretty targeted campaigns which is nice because if you think about the strategy of really focusing in on your target buyer personas yeah knowing that information is is half the battle and then the other half is just finding ways to get in front of those specific people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, go, and not to go back to bash on anything traditional media wise, but one of the biggest challenges that we face today when we look at a billboard or a radio campaign is the rates you pay is for the total listening audience yeah. or the total number of cars that drive past that billboard.
0: How many of those cars are actually interested in what you have to say, Right that's exactly right how many of those impressions those listeners
1: are actually your target market and the answer likely is a very small percentage but there's no way to, to mm-hmm. really segment that out so you have to pay for the entire market so here you have the opportunity to really niche down and say i don't want to pay for the people that have a high likelihood of becoming my customer right. i want to easily determined, and to set up one of these campaigns is not challenging at all. Facebook's done a great job of giving us the tools to go through and step-by-step step build one of these ad campaigns and get in front of those. And, and the nice thing about it, right now, I say this right now because I don't think this is <laughs> going to be forever, right now it's the price point is it's just dirt awesome. Deep. It is very, very, very inexpensive. It It's the, the amount of exposure you can get the number of eyeballs you can get in front of for the, the actual cost is staggeringly right. inexpensive. So I love it. I think that if you were to ask me this question, uh, maybe even a year and a half ago, I probably wouldn't be uh, so bullish on on Facebook ads. Yeah, but it was
0: But the targeting is a lot different than it was
1: it is it is a lot different it is in we've we've seen some really good success in some of the campaigns we've ran as well and so um that alone has has made me made me a lot uh, more pro facebook ads mm-hmm. than than maybe i would have been you know 18
0: months ago sure Good, good, good stuff. So now that I am doing my Facebook ads, I should probably consider doing some type of email outreach to touch all those precious contacts that I've generated. So I'm thinking about doing some outreach emails to people. What are the techniques that work best? So when you're talking outreach emails, you're,
1: you're, you're really referencing just to kind of lay a little foundation here. You're referencing using email directly and probably more manually Mm -hmm. to go after either a cold or potentially warm target. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So with that, um, my, my, first staple is to identify, do some research on who exactly your target is to make sure that you're sending out to the right people. Okay. Um, you want to obviously convey a message that is going to connect with their interests, their challenges. If uh, we can say something that's going to uh, best scratch an itch they have, you're going to get their attention mm-hmm. and ultimately get them to open the email message rather than if we're too general uh, or we're not doing the upfront research and let's say we just buy a list Hmm. of uh, anyone you know all females from the ages of 35 to 45 who like the color green and we're trying to sell them green socks you know that's might be a start but you know we, we could further define and try to get a more pointed list to go after if we're going to go the route of purchasing a list or even you know the case of and you know, we did this here at Neon Goldfish we do a, a lot of email outreach and we we vet our targets pretty thoroughly. We look at who we're going to go after depending on the niche. Mm-hmm. And with that we identify which titles, which which job positions, what type of organizations we research. Uh, I mean, we call it stalking, whatever you want to call it, but <laughs> you know, it's kind of we're stalking. trying to find out as much. It's kind of is, but you want to try to find out as much information. I mean, if you're selling a higher ticket item sure. and you have a high profile individual Who that you you're, to you're trying on. to gain their attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, well, think about this. They're likely getting more than just your email that day. Yeah. I mean, think about how many emails hit your inbox each yeah. day. If it's from somebody you don't know there better be something really compelling there. And if you can connect with something that is particular, perhaps they just won an award or yeah, perhaps you they, you know, that'd be awesome. If you find some type of news related item about the particular person, congratulate them on that mm-hmm. and then try to make an introduction.
0: It's going to open their eyes. But
1: he, that's just it. What can you do? And this, this goes back to the, the trade-off of effort to reward or return. Mm-hmm. The more effort you put into researching vetting these these individuals you're going to do outreach the better results that you're going to get yeah where buying a list is easy anybody with a checkbook can do that but the overall return the the open rate the click through that you're going to receive on that is suspect right so let's just talk about a little bit about the message itself the subject line the most important component because that's what they're going to first determine if it's something worth opening or not. And so you definitely want to get a subject line that you know, and and start tracking the effectiveness of subject lines to see which ones perform well, which ones don't. Um, Look at the message itself, include visuals, something that's going to grab their attention right away, include a headline, that has some impact
0: that speaks to uh, what what matters to them most should we do, um, should we do like two emails that go out at the same time with different messages or anything along those lines if you
1: wanted to so you want to you're 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 speaking of uh trying to do some split testing to evaluate maybe what works best. Yeah,
0: just maybe one headline might work better than the other one and so that we can adjust and, you know, maybe one email works better with photos than one that doesn't.
1: No, yeah, that that that's a great suggestion there. I mean, the idea here would be testing, uh, whether you're doing uh, split testing or even uh, some individual uh, straight line testing is to see what does resonate and what doesn't. Because once you find, and that's that's the quickest way to, to identify what is going to work and what's not going to work, and it's kind of you know, like dipping your toe in the water to see what the temperature is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You'll be able to gauge and what you can adjust. And then once you find that subject line in that message, that length of the email, is it a six-paragraph email or is it a two-paragraph email? Does it include right. that, that photo you mentioned or... Does it not? Does it have a downloadable link that they can click on? Or is it a bottom of funnel call me now? What what is the overall message to you know that we're trying to or the conversion that we're trying to get? And then once you do figure out what that what works best, then then obviously that becomes your winner. Now you might have a sequence of emails where they may not open the first one. Yeah and it might take a couple attempts to actually get an open from them mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that they don't know who you are the old cliche the squeaky wheel gets the, re- the grease is applies here right yeah how many i mean you do a lot of, of email outreach for the goldfish justin how, how many times have you found it sometimes takes to send an email before you might get an opener, before uh, you, you you get some type of recognition, some type of oh yeah, it's Justin, and or, you know, or you follow that with a phone call. And they're like, yeah, I got all your emails. You yeah. know, I just haven't a chance to get to them.
0: I'll tell you what, um, we do do a lot of outreach, and most of the outreach that we have set up is based around ten to twelve touches. Um, so maybe that's an email going out, followed up by a phone call. Um, but maybe you don't hear anything from them for, you know, you send out three emails, you don't hear anything, you follow up with those phone calls and then you finally connect with that individual and they do, they say, Hey, yeah, you know, I've been getting those messages that you've been sending me. But typically what we see is around that four to five email mark is when they, you know, they actually start opening up some of those messages, you know, you've called and you've left them a voicemail or something along those lines you'll start seeing that hey they're remembering you and they you know then you'll you can actually probably go back and track if they opened up any of your first emails after you know the the fourth or fifth contact so it's very effective but um generally you don't see it until you know later on down that email sequence line maybe it's even when you decide to break up with them that you know Hey, we feel that the, you know, the, the information they've been sending me is valuable. I don't want them to stop. So at that point, you can also get a lot of uh, response and Hey, you know, I am checking out the information that you're sending me and, you know, please continue to do so or, or reach out at that point. No, that's,
1: that's interesting points that you bring up because I would gather that email outreach attempts by most don't make it to the four to five. No. Four to fifth, fourth or fifth attempt. Mm -mm. And it's, I mean, we read uh, somewhere. I I can't even remember this. You you shared an article with me though, which is fascinating that showed some types of sales cycles. And and again, this depends on the product you're selling and the consumer you're selling to, but it could take up to 10, 15 attempts
0: Oh, yeah, Before
1: you actually connect with the customer. Well, especially if it's cold. Exactly. There's a lot of of passive rapport building you're trying to do there. Right. And, yeah, you're you're trying desperately to get in front of, you know, we want to get them on a call to to try to close them down. But if it's cold, like you said, there has to be some trust established and built up. And so, you know, to go back to the beginning of this, Knowing your target, spending time crafting your message, your subject line that's geared towards what matters most to that target, and then building some frequency, yeah, uh, with a message that's been tested to be effective, is the winning winning formula there.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Good. All good points on, um, on doing some email outreach. Uh, the next question that comes up is, is kind of funny. Um, my daughter, she's been, um, this is related to this. So my daughter has been playing with my wife's cell phone quite a bit lately and she'll come over and show me this crazy puppy face on the phone and, I don't know if your kids are doing this yet, but um, Snapchat, it's a big one. And uh, we get quite a few businesses that are asking us if they should be taking Snapchat seriously for their business. Yeah, well, no. My to answer your question, my kids have
1: not. Uh, the two younger ones have not Claire, the oldest, she's been playing with Snapchat a little bit. Um, and I don't dare show the the little ones, I call them my minions. (laughs) I don't dare call you the minions because that would be the end of, if Jack could put a puppy face on L, then it's all over. (laughs) Um, But you're taking this, you know, perceived plat, this platform that's perceived uh, for play and goofing around. And the question is, can it be used seriously for your business? And, And the answer is yes. If your audience is, Snapchat users?
0: Yeah. If that's your there's
1: a yeah, there's a there's a great opportunity. I, I think one of the best parts about is everyone knows about Facebook. Everyone's starting to flock towards Facebook. Everyone's comfortable with using Facebook. Mm-hmm. But if you look at Snapchat, what is there like over hundred million daily users oh, on Snapchat? It's it's more than that. I think it's like 150. It's ridiculous. In, so, think about that: 150 million daily active users. They can't all be making puppy faces. <laughs> I hope not. So, but but I've been on there. I I went in. Come
0: on, have you made I, a puppy face? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. <laughs> and, and, and
1: I actually can say that with with a straight face that I have not done the puppy. I face think yet. that
0: I think you should do one and post it in the show notes. <laughs>
1: That, that would be kind of funny. I think it would be hilarious. Um, but what I have done is I've, I've went in some of the influencers that I follow. Uh, Gary V. Gary Vaynerchuk. He's a big, he Snapchatter. Is, uh, he's a big Snapchatter. And I love to, that I it's, it's another platform. He's reaching another audience. Mm-hmm. And what is it? It's video. And so if you think about anyone out there that's producing video and they want to communicate, with an audience yeah. so if you think about you know let's figure out what the the target snapchat user is like and if that fits mm. your your buyer persona i guess that uh, we have a lot of millennials on there um that that are using i know my niece and nephew are snapchat junkies right um but you know, just the numbers alone in the people that you can connect to mm-hmm. if it aligns with your target market go for it and yeah. the, the biggest opportunity is the lack of marketers that are using this platform yeah because most aren't most are dismissing that it's virtually uh, on a platform right like now. snapchat exactly so if you think about that it's it's a pond with few fish swimming around in it mm-hmm. and you have an opportunity here to either go let's say to google and compete with all the fish, some of the biggest fish out there, uh-huh. go to facebook where the pond is getting larger and the fish are getting bigger or you can adopt and dominate a platform that is you know it's, it's growing every day, more and more people are going to flock to it, the competition's only going to get thicker, but yeah, I think that mm-hmm. if it lined if it's in alignment with your your goals and your strategy,
0: capitalize on it. Yeah. I don't see a reason not to. Good stuff. So go make yourself a puppy face and get that ready to be posted for all of our lovely listeners. Um, All right. Next up, responsive web design buzzword from, I don't know, when did that uh, pop up? About a couple years ago. A couple years ago, but then Google came out with uh, some information that said if your website was not responsive, that you were going to get penalized and all this crazy stuff was going to happen to you does it matter if my website is mobile ready or not
1: yes this is actually a, an interesting question it was a big topic a couple of years ago and then not too long ago i'd have to pull the date and we'll add that to the show notes as well pull the date of the notice where google said that they were going to start prioritizing websites that were mobile responsive
0: how many people did thought... get <laughs> i mean it was, <laughs> it was it was it was crazy <laughs> It there was there was quite a bit because I think there was
1: this mass email went out to every <laughs> Google user on the planet that
0: what's, what's gonna happen you, to my website? Must, is it gone tomorrow? It,
1: it, that was that was a common question. Was, is you know and the nice thing was we had already been building websites to be mobile ready for a long, long time at that point. So the majority of our clients that had their site redone were already geared up for this change. In Save anyone from freaking out right now if your website's not mobile responsive right now at this very moment, I'll explain what that means. It doesn't mean it disappeared from Google. it just means that Google's giving preference to those that have mobile responsive websites over those that aren't it's a it's a search signal now, and the reason why we are a society that now uses mobile devices more than desktops, and so <clears throat> We have the darn cell phone that we're using to shoot photos and videos of our testimonials, but we're also using it for searching for everything from A to Z. And so when we start to see in the Google Analytics or in your, your website metrics, the trend of uh, this number of site visitors uh, more coming from mobile than desktop, um that's just proof in the pudding that uh, it's it's already happened, and it happened a lot quicker than I anticipated. Yeah, uh, that that taken down. So let's back up. Let's talk about what it means for a website to be responsive. <clears throat> so when cell phones first started coming out, uh, we went from from our our dumb phones to our smartphones. That whole transition, we identified that websites looked like garbage on that small screen because they got all smushed down. So back then we created a mobile version of a website and that was uh, a separate web entity, a different web property that would recognize if the search was coming from a mobile device, it would display a different appearing website, which worked great until all the cell phone manufacturers started making all these different sized cell phones <laughs> and then tablets <laughs> hit the market. And now we have another screen size. And so it's like the, 25 devices all at the same time. It was fun. And also, <clears throat> I think what was more of a headache back then was you made an update to the full version or the desktop version of the website. You then had to go and make uh, that same addition or update to the mobile version of the website. Correct. So we began the idea of a responsive design came to light. And what responsive design? website design does is rather than uh, being a fixed website uh, with, with fixed proportions and things, all those, it actually expands to the width of the screen upon which the website's being viewed. And what that means basically is the letters, you know, your, your fonts don't shrink down to be teeny tiny, your navigation will rearrange. So if you're looking at a mobile device, likely the navigation will collapse into the very common, three-line toggle menu button that you see at the top of a lot of mobile versions of websites. And uh, as an easy way to see if a website's responsive, if you want to check real quick and see if your website's responsive, one of the easiest ways is open up your website in a browser window on your desktop and grab the corner of your browser window and just slide it left to right and see if the elements of your web page rearrange or if you get a horizontal sliding menu excuse me, a horizontal uh, scroll bar. Um, That's one of the easiest ways. A lot of websites are mobile responsive these days. Uh, It's been something that's been around for a while. Long enough. Um, But the thing that we see still quite a bit is there's still a lot that aren't. And so um, we've touched on, you know, Google gives preference to those that are mobile ready or mobile responsive. Um, we've also touched on, you know, another reason being that it's easier to update if you have a mobile responsive website than if you maybe, maybe you have one of those mobile versions of a website. Um, you definitely want to uh, make that change, but I think the biggest item that should be considered is the users, the visitors to your website and the experience they have. If they're pulling up on the phone and you're serving up mm-hmm. a, a shrunken version of your website that they have to, uh, you can't really visualize this through the podcast, but you got to do the pinchy finger thing, right? You got to yeah. expand the page, find the button you want on the navigation, you click on that button, and then the new page reloads. And you got to make the text area bigger because yeah. it's too small for anyone except for uh, uh someone with a microscope to read. So <laughs> these are all reasons why you really should should make if you know the switch and if your website is not mobile responsive yeah um and, and even if you don't care about you know where you show up in google uh do it for your users do it for the do it for the consumers man do it but for the uh, consumers
0: i mean 50 percent <laughs> of our visitors are, are mobile so
1: in most <laughs> websites it's more than that yeah. it's
0: it's
1: it's amazing when you pull analytic reports up and, and just jump in your analytics reports and just look i would I would be willing to bet that 80% of the websites that we manage mm-hmm. have more mobile views, more mobile visitors, probably than they do desktop visitors.
0: Without a doubt, I've, yeah. I've never
1: really went through and tallied it all up, yeah. but I know that with the exception of a few that I think of right now, all of them right. that I can, you know, all except for a few are, are for sure getting more mobile mm-hmm. mobile visitors.
0: do it people do it for the consumers people do it for the consumers (laughs) all right so next up is focused on content which we've talked quite a bit about in a few of our uh, recent podcasts you know everybody's always talking about content is king and you need to make sure you're creating new content you know and all that good stuff why is content marketing so important
1: Well, content marketing does a lot of things for you as uh, in your marketing efforts for starts. And I think my favorite is it positions you as the expert or as an expert in your industry when you're having creating conversations. So for content marketing, we're talking anything from blog posts to infographics to explainer videos or any video for that educational uh, that educational things. A podcast. I mean, this podcast we're doing right now is a component of content marketing. These are all different channels of which we are uh, sending out, distributing our our thoughts, our our expertise, our our weigh-ins on on anything uh, related to our particular industry in different modes that can be consumed different in different ways. So, with the creation of these it it positions you as an industry expert you're actually having a conversation Uh uh, or writing an article about something that related to your industry that you hope will help consumers that are are interested in, in the topic that you're talking about um and so that alone i think is is the 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 most important component of content marketing um now with that what are some of the other benefits that make it even more important um i just explained a bunch of different avenues that people can find you now so if you're creating video Uh you place that video on youtube or snapchat or if you're creating a podcast you have it on itunes and google play sure Your blog post is on your blog, but you're trying to promote that to maybe other influencers and all those are avenues to attract visitors to your website and to promote your brand and build that credibility. So I think that this is, they're they're all just different ways and all of our consumers, all of our target buyer personas, we can't, we don't have the time or the energy or even the desire to participate in all of these different content marketing mediums, okay. which should we spend our time on? And the answer would really just boil down to which medium, which mode of content consumption does your buyer persona care about most? What do they like to? How do they like to take in their their content? Hmm. and And go with that route. If if they're a group that likes to read, then blog your heart away yeah. if they're not uh readers and they like to watch video then then get the camera going and start recording some video uh, but you know the other bystander to doing all this uh, it doesn't happen without effort but you'll the more content you produce the more you'll be found but also if your content is let's just assume that it's good content if it's great content it's likely going to be referenced or linked to by others mm-hmm. that are in your industry so let's just say that you created a how to guide on uh, how to guide on creating your own golf cart mats for <laughs> <laughs> We're back to golf. Cart there mats. we go. We're back to golf cart mats. Right. Uh, now we're going to be able to. And it was mats. a step by step. <laughs> we're going. To, we're going to find. I'm going to find a picture of a golf cart mat before it's all over. You're going to be
0: building and, a golf cart and, or something. You just haven't told us about it.
1: No, although I'd love to. I'm not. And so, let's say you created this how-to guide, and it is just kick-ass. It covers all the steps, start to finish. It. it includes a video and. A step by step text explanation because you want to cover both angles of your uh, your listening audience or your your target audience, and you have uh, a company that does build golf carts, who's like this is awesome. And they read a blog post and they're like, you know what? And if you were interested in building golf cart mats, go check out, <laughs> check the, out. the link to Justin and Ken's golf cart mat company. And they got it. These guys nailed it. And you get a link to your website, which builds your credibility in the search we're engine. To boost. Exactly. So that would be another bystander for uh, making, you know, for, for content or, or an indirect, uh, benefit for for content marketing participation. So again, to recap, I love the credibility aspect. Yeah. You position yourself as a thought leader, but it's going to get you more traffic to your website, and it's going to help you get some of those inbound links that are so precious when it comes to organic search.
0: Sweet. Everybody, go out there and get yourself some golf cart mats, or at least <laughs> learn how here with Justin and Ken. All right, so good stuff. We all have a a good understanding of why content marketing is so important for our businesses. Um, Does the frequency of putting up content matter? Should I, you know, just how often should I blog? And what should I be blogging about? That's a very good question.
1: Because when we're having this conversation about content marketing, a lot of times... There isn't a strategy in place and there's no activity being done. And the idea behind the blog is the easiest one, mm-hmm. really. Most websites have a blog component of some sort. You open up, you start jamming away in a keyboard, uh, piecing together uh, something that uh, connects well with and has thorough in explaining a particular item about your business. And so let's just talk about the blogs. Everyone's first question is, okay, I'll blog. How many times... Is you know a year do i need to blog or how how many times a week do i need to blog do i need to blog every day do i need to blog several times a day and the answer is consistently and frequently but it really is based on how much time you have available to devote really to that activity yeah. and so i always say it's it's, it's kind of like uh you know we're, we're, we're here into the beginning of the new year and uh, lots of people started uh, new health regiments. And some uh, sometimes you go into, uh, I'm, you know, going to get a new gym membership and I'm going to go every day and they go for their first four days, four <laughs> days. And then they're like, well, not every day, every other day, because, you know, they go in too hard, too hot, too heavy. It's too much of a shock in their schedule yeah. um, or they're sore or whatever it might be. Easy. And then they go every other day. I'm just kidding. I'm done. And so <laughs> what happens is you you need to be realistic in your goals, how much time you have to devote to an activity like blogging. It does take time. Yeah. There's uh, the, the the step in, in figuring out what your topic's going to be and then researching that particular topic, actually writing a, the blog post itself. And then the last component, which is super important, is is outreach to try to promote your, your content in to get in front of as many eyeballs as possible. Mm-hmm. So if you can do that every day, then you're going to be further ahead than the person that can only do it once a month, but be realistic in the goals that you set for yourself. And, and you have to put that time on the calendar. If you don't write it down and you don't make the time to say Wednesday mornings from nine until noon, every week I'm doing blogging activity. Yeah. Or it, maybe maybe your calendar is jam packed between seven a.m. and five p.m. and you're like, Justin, and I and you got kids to run to sports and dinner to throw at them and clean up and bedtime and stories and baths and all that fun stuff.
0: It has to be scheduled and it
1: doesn't. <laughs> it has to be, or maybe it's at ten o'clock, at, right? Where you're like, okay, everybody's to bed. I'm kind of mellow out here. I find early in the mornings when I'm most creative i got a good night's sleep my brain's kind of charged a little bit more and it's not drained at the end of the day yeah. and so early in the morning is when i find myself to be most creative but as you just you know reiterated there putting it on a calendar is, is super mm. important so uh but to, to step back though the other part of your question so the frequency depends on your schedule but commit to something and stick to it it's a long play it's not something you're going to see immediate benefits to yeah. You're gonna to have to say, all right. Well, I'm gonna blog, and I'm gonna to continue to blog. And, and I would say, if you have the choice between frequency, quantity, or quality, go with quality all day long. Yeah. If if you say, all right, I have four hours to devote, and four hours time, I could crank out one really good blog post, or or mediators. I could crank out four, you know, glorified <clears throat> tweets, then. <laughs> Go for the one really good, I mean, a really good blog post minus the outreach could conceivably be done in four hours. Um, but, uh, you, you know, definitely go for the quality. The The more thorough you cover a topic, uh, the more value that you can present and bring to yeah. the person reading that blog post, the The more value it's going to bring to the more return you're going to see on it for your, your business. So awesome. now with topics, yeah, topics are the one thing that, all right, what do I write about? Do I want you know? Do I write about awards that I won? Do I write about uh, <laughs> new new jobs that maybe my company were was presented? Yeah, sure. Company news is awesome. Industry news, things that are going on within your industry. Maybe you have a, a trade publication or a magazine that you subscribe to, and they're talking about a, a particular article that yeah. you read, and you're like, you know. I I, I I I've read this, I've digested it, and I have some things that I'd like to say about it. Perfect. That's right. a great blog topic. It's relevant. Uh, I like evergreen content, content that's going to to be meaningful today and mm-hmm. a couple of years down the road, so we can continue to get traffic from it. It's gonna be a question, and that's my other my, my biggest topic generator is common questions. The common questions that we're covering right <clears> here <throat> in this, this podcast right now yeah. are all great blog topics. And there are going to be questions that are relevant today. And there are going to be questions that are, for the most part, going to be relevant six months from now or two years from now. Maybe there's going to be some twist that the Facebook ad thing will be different. Responsible web design won't be quite as hot a topic. But there will be something there to replace that. Very true. Very true. So topic ideas, common questions, industry news, company news, tutorials, how to how to how to make your own golf, cart, golf maps. cart mats exactly exactly or educational pieces um you know we talked about uh really um the, it, it kind of ties with the how-to guides but uh maybe it's to to learn really um the ins and outs of uh, uh features benefits of, of something that's that's brand new that you don't know anything about so uh those are some and if if you can't come up with I mean, try not to come up with fifty to one hundred topic ideas just off of common questions you're asked, and and, and don't go uh, so so broad as you know what's the uh, what's the most you know common type of of you know widget out there. You now get into the nitty gritty, down to the very specific questions. Because if you've heard that question asked to you individually, there's likely thousands of people out there in the world that are asking that very question. And we all use Google as a kind of more of an – I mean, Ask Jeeves was onto something before Google really figured it out. But we all ask Google now questions more than, I think, anything. I mean, I type in questions into Google the all the yeah,
0: time. Yeah, they even got that cool new uh, speaker <laughs> out that you can set right on your desk and ask it questions, and it responds. Oh, yeah. the uh, You're
1: talking about the, the the speaker where the dad's reading his <clears> daughter, the, the book, and – He's asking what the sound of the whale makes. Yes. Oh man, that, that I mean, it's, that's it's, the invention it's awesome. that's to... I, I tell you what, nothing it's will sit on desk. We're going to be so lazy. You can
0: ask it any question and get the answer right there. How easy! Uh, my first is thought that? when I saw that commercial was, Google, can you babysit my kid <laughs>
1: for me? Google, can you make me a pizza? Because hey, it, man. how lazy are we that we, no, it's, it's convenience of technology and right? you know, it's advancing, but I've just, you gotta chuckle, funny. you know, it, it makes you think back to that movie WALL-E where, <laughs> where all the humans are just laying on those floating couches, whatever they are, and we're just getting fat and just, you know, we, we can't, we can't even get up. We don't even function anymore because everything's so automated. I mean, <laughs> hey,
0: it's scary, but it's, it's so that's true. What we're, uh, that's the times we're in. So. All right. So we do all this cool new content marketing and blogging and all that good stuff. I want to start promoting some of that content somehow. Um, However, maybe I have a smaller budget. So next up would be what is the best route to go for paid search on a limited budget for, you know, either google adwords or any type of social platform ppc platform yeah a lot of times that
1: we're looking at the strategy we want to implement you know the budget is a is a common it's a it's a main main uh dictator of what we can and can't do and so this is uh Oftentimes, you know, do we have to choose if or, you know, uh, either or, uh, either Google, let's say AdWords or let's just for the sake of, of what we've been talking about this entire time, um, doing uh, targeted boosting ads in Facebook, uh, which route do we go? Well, I think that whatever, you know, this is the, this could be a cow, but whatever aligns with your goals the best yeah. in really I mean you got to think about the differences between the two platforms there is a difference between the users there with Google we go to Google with questions we're going to seek information right so we want to know what sound the whale makes right so we ask Google or we want to know uh, a recipe for uh, I need a crockpot recipe for pork loin because I got <laughs> a, a swim meet tomorrow night, and I need to get something. It's going to be ready for me when I get home. I can chow down and head to the swim meet. Or we want to know the best strategy for uh, coming up with a uh, campaign for our uh, our church event fundraising event. You know, whatever that might be. We're, we we oftentimes gravitate towards Google for that rarely do we go to Facebook for that. We don't go to Facebook and to ask what sound a whale makes because that would be really weird. Um, we don't do Facebook for anything. We go to Facebook for social enjoyment. We go to Facebook to kind of see what's going on for entertainment, for killing time in the car, or waiting for an appointment at the doctor's office, whatever it might be. We're on Facebook, but it's it's we're being served up ads there in more of a creative way, similar to that billboard that's on the side of the road, with the exception that we can only put, we can position now our billboard only in front of relevant items. Yeah. And so, the two main differences I see between Google AdWords and Facebook Ads is the consumer, the the the, the intent of the the person being on that platform. Are they there seeking information, or they're you know, is it is it is it active, you know, seeking information, or is it passive ads that we're positioning in front of them? Both work, both are great, and the other is the cost. You're you're not always going to, but you're likely going to pay more on Google AdWords for a click than you would on Facebook. Yeah, and so to go back to what you made mention of once before. Like, does it make sense to test? I love testing here because we don't have to commit to either one with a giant budget. Yeah. Let's say we have a budget of $500. Mm-hmm. You know, let's let's dip our toe in, in in each bucket a little bit and see which one. Because where you might get, uh, let's say that you, you pay $500. Uh, let's say you split it up 250 250 mm-hmm. And you run a one-week campaign on each platform. Let's say that you only get 15 leads, 15 clicks that turn into leads off Google, you might, you know, so you're going you pay for the leads, you're paying for the clicks yeah. there. You might get a hundred clicks on Facebook, spend that same $250, but only get five leads. Yeah.
0: True.
1: At the end of the day, where did your $250 go and get you further? And so that is some testing that you got to play with and do. And obviously um, I think both platforms are really viable, but, you know, running those test campaigns and see what works best. And then do yourself a favor. Whatever platform, you know, when you do your test, definitely run it with this. Create a landing page. In the landing page, use verbiage and photos with a, with a call to action, whatever the conversion you want them to do. If you want them to um, fill out a form to get a free consultation, if you want them to download your ebook, if you want them to um, like your, your page, I guess that would be uh, definitely towards Facebook. But Whatever it is that you want them to do, drive it to a landing page and not to the homepage of your website. We see this too, 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 too many times. And you're <clears throat> diluting your, it, it's it's kind of like. One, you're going to pay for it, and
0: two, you're going to send them to, you know, a page that's relevant as opposed to not. Exactly.
1: Exactly. I mean, you're basically saying, I want you to guide people. I want to pay for you to be my guide. But once, you know, you deliver them, are you going to say, here's the exact room in my house you were looking for, or here's the front door. Good luck finding the room. Send them to the damn room they're looking for. Uh,
0: good stuff. All right. So, um, all very, very, very good stuff on the, you know, 10 common marketing questions that we get. We are, um, running a little bit longer than an hour today. So I think that, um, I think we're going to wrap it up for today. Um, We want to thank you guys again for listening to our Q&A conversation. Be sure to check out the show notes at neongoldfish.com forward slash podcast. Again, um, we want to thank everybody for all the support that you guys have provided for the podcast. And please, please, please leave us uh, some reviews on whatever that platform is that you are listening on, whether it be iTunes, Google Play, um, or Whatever the, the platform is, you know, and if you have an idea uh, for any topic or a guest that you think would be a great fit to have on the show or just general feedback um, on the show to make it a little bit better, please send that message through Twitter at Neon Goldfish or send us a message through neongoldfish.com's Goldfish dot com's website. Uh, again, have a great day and we will see you guys next week.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Neon Noise podcast. Did you enjoy the podcast? If so, please subscribe, share with the friends or write a review. We want to cover the topics you want to hear. If you have an idea for a topic you'd like Justin and Ken to cover, connect with us on Twitter at Neon Goldfish or through our website at NeonGoldfish.com.